And I pray that as we see what is happening in the world around us, that we would unite as a people to proclaim the messages that you have called us to proclaim at this time. So I just pray that as I speak over the next few minutes that you would give me grace and wisdom to share this topic in a way that will be understandable and helpful. And so I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I've entitled my presentation today, The Unanswered Prayer of Jesus. Jesus has a prayer for his church. We find that prayer in John chapter 17. And we're going to look at that as we go through the presentation this afternoon. But I, I have to ask myself the question, are we answering that prayer of Jesus, that prayer where he prays that we would be one with each other and one with him as he is one with the Father. You know, there have been theological disagreements within different wings of the worldwide Seventh-day Adventist church. Interestingly, most notably about women's ordination in recent times, and that's been an interesting thing for me to watch with the pandemic because we well remember, and this is an argument that is still used, where people who don't agree with the decision of the World Church of the Seventh-day Adventists about women's ordination will, will say, well, my conscience forces me to go against the decision that the church has decided upon. And now we're hearing conscience about the current issue in the church. So there have been various theological disagreements within Adventism. But the division that has arisen among the professed Bible-believing ranks of Adventism regarding COVID-19 over the last two years, for me, has been very alarming. And I think it's probably been alarming for all of us. And unfortunately, not only has COVID-19 changed the world, it has reshaped the landscape of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We have to admit that, that we are living in a different landscape right now because of the strongly held viewpoints about COVID. And much like the secular world, we have seen within the church a hotly contested debate about masks, social distancing, vaccines, and mandates. And if we are honest with ourselves, would it be fair to ask if our talking points are coming as much from our favorite contemporary media sources that align with our political perspectives as much as they come from the Bible? And this is a challenge that we have to come to grips with because we do not want the theological platform of Seventh-day Adventism to be knowingly or unknowingly driven by the platform of the modern political parties. Seventh-day Adventism is distinct and separate from the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or the Libertarian Party or any other party. We are Seventh-day Adventists. And it just frustrates me personally to see people in the church who are very convicted about an issue that they believe is a matter of personal conscience when my personal belief as a Seventh-day Adventist physician is that the issue in question, Scripture is largely silent upon. So we're making something into a huge issue that you can't really give a clear point one way or the other other than to say make a decision about this but let's not make this into an end time testing truth now we as seventh-day adventists can all agree that COVID-19 is a sign of the second coming of Jesus we read in Matthew 24 verses 6 through 8 you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars see that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet for a nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So between the pestilence of COVID-19, and that's clearly 
a general sign that Jesus describes in Matthew 24. Between the pestilence of COVID-19 and the present war that we're seeing um, where Russia has invaded Ukraine, these prophetic utterances by Christ in Matthew 24 are pregnant with meaning. We can see this pestilence over the last two years. Now we see this war that kind of popped up quickly. And we're reminded that we are on the right track. We understand the Seventh-day Adventists, that Jesus warned us that things like this would happen. So we shouldn't be surprised by the fact that we are living in a world that is faced with challenges, that we are living in a world where we face uncertainty. Um, they remind us that the world will become worse as the return of Jesus approaches. And so this pandemic and the recent war reminds us that we can have absolute certainty that Jesus is coming again. So we can say, praise the Lord, these are signs of the coming of Jesus. And we can say that we are living in the beginning of sorrows, and this should not surprise us as Seventh-day Adventists, because we have been living in the time of the end since 1798. We've been living in the hour of God's judgment since 1844. So we should expect that there would be signs in the world around us that tell us that Jesus is coming again. If, if we weren't seeing any signs of the coming of Jesus, it should be some cause for concern. And certainly we're not happy that people are dying from COVID, that people are dying in Ukraine from the terrible war. That doesn't make us happy, but at the same time, it does remind us that Jesus is coming again. But here's something that I want us to think about, and Pastor Howard talked about this, especially towards the end of his presentation this morning. You know, the apocalyptic events that we are witnessing about the war that we're seeing, the pandemic that we've been dealing with, are not the only signs that point to the coming of Jesus. There's another sign that we look for that is of vital importance for the, the coming of Jesus, and that is this. It's the unity among Seventh-day Adventists who profess a belief in the three angels' messages. Now, maybe... I'm a little bit jaded and cynical, but I'm not expecting a unity to exist or to come about among professed Seventh-day Adventists who promote evolution in the church. I'm not expecting a unity to come together among Adventists who are promoting the LGBT lifestyle as biblically acceptable. I'm not expecting unity to happen among that version of so-called Adventism versus biblical Adventism. But what I do strongly believe is that those of us who profess a belief in the three angels' messages should be able to unite under those three angels' messages. And I'm really disappointed over the last two years about how divided we have been as a people, those of us who believe in the three angels' messages, over COVID. And we say that Jesus is coming again. And we say that he's coming again soon. And God allows the devil to bring this pandemic into the world. And, you know, people talk about various sources of oh, where the pandemic came from. Well, I can tell you this, the devil caused it. I think we can agree on that. And so the devil brings this pandemic into the world and the church, we are in the world that we live in and this pandemic comes and sometimes I just shake my head and say, man, the devil must just be laughing at us. I mean, we fight just as hard in the church about masks and vaccines and social distancing and all of that stuff the way people are fighting in the world. And that should not be. The unity among Seventh-day Adventists who profess a belief in the three angels' messages is another vital sign of the nearness of Christ's coming that cannot be ignored. The tragic lack of unity among God's people during the pandemic should be deeply concerning to all who look for the soon return of Jesus. Now, I do believe that the Lord can work in mighty ways so that he can bring about unity where there's been division, where he can bring about reconciliation where there's been fracture. I believe that. But I guess I've been alive long enough to be able to say this with some degree of authority. 
Um, every single one of us has a very strong tendency to have pride of opinion. And it's hard for us to admit that we might just be wrong about something. And when the evidence very strongly suggests that what we believe is contrary to what we've thought, and I'm not talking about the Bible, I'm just talking about issues of the day, sometimes we will hang on to our strongly held belief even when it is detrimental to the unity of the church. And I want us to go to John 17. And we're going to look at what Jesus is praying for. And this is an amazing prayer of Jesus. I'm not going to read all of John 17. I'm going to hit just a key section in verses 17 through 24. And this is the prayer of Jesus just before he died. And just before Jesus died, Jesus is praying for the unity of his believers and for the sanctification of his believers. And the obvious context is that unity comes when we as God's believers become sanctified. And when there's lack of unity, the obvious implication is that there is lack of sanctification. And here's the thing. Ellen White makes it very clear that pride is the sin that is most offensive to God. And when we're so proud of what we believe and what we stand for that we're not willing to yield to lead to unity, that's not sanctification. So notice what Jesus says, starting in verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, meaning us, for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Now, I'll just say this as a little aside. Whatever you think about COVID, that is not the truth for this time. I'm sorry. That which will lead to sanctification is not a strongly held belief about the COVID pandemic. It's the truth of Scripture, the truth as it is in Jesus. Verse 20, Jesus goes on to say, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So he's praying for the disciples, and then he prays for the rest of us who will believe on Jesus through the word of the disciples. And now verse 21 gets to the heart of the matter, and he says that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Now what's the purpose for this unity? Notice the end of the verse. It says that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Why would the world believe in Jesus and that God sent Jesus to the world to bring salvation if they look at the church and they see us fighting over masks and vaccine mandates and social distancing and they see that we fight just like they do? And they're going to say, so God sent Jesus to this world and this church is the representative of Christ on this earth and they're fighting like we fight. I don't know that I need to be part of a movement like that. Jesus says that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, when the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father, we can say with absolute confidence that that represents perfect unity. Perfect unity. And Jesus is saying, that's the unity that I want to exist between my fellow believers, those who believe on my disciples and he goes on to say, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Now, this is where things are interesting prophetically, and I'll get back to this towards the end of the talk as well. But when Jesus says, I in them, that's this prophetic concept that we identify in the book of Revelation as the mystery of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory, 
Revelation 10, 7. The second advent movement has raised up so that the mystery of God would be finished. And Colossians 1, 27 says that the mystery of God is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Jesus is praying, I in them. That's why he says to the Laodicean church, I stand at the door and knock, let me come in. And the reason why he's saying, let me come in, is because we as a Laodicean movement have left Jesus on the outside. And so we say, God, I thank you that I am rich and increased with goods. I thank you. And to be rich, according to 1 Peter 1, verse 7, is to have faith. And so a lot of Adventists say, God, I thank you that I am rich in faith. I understand the truth for this time. I understand that we have a message for this time. I understand what happened in 1844. I understand the three angels' messages. I understand the sanctuary message. God, I thank you that I'm not like the world out there. And I know that, you know, there's some things in my character that aren't so good. And you'll just overlook that in the judgment because at least I know what truth is. And so this pandemic to me has been a revelation of the lack of sanctification in Adventism. And so we say that we're rich and increase with goods and do not need anything. And the lack of sanctification is a sign that Jesus has not come in. We haven't opened the door for Christ to come in. And so there's all this fighting in the church, and each side is convinced that they're right, and the other side is wrong, and that it's our version of the truth during this pandemic that's going to finish the work. And we're fighting with each other, and we're not answering the prayer of Jesus that we would be made perfect in one. And Jesus wants to say to us today, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus goes on to say, I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, now notice verse 24. After he prays that we would be one with each other and one with him, then he says in verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Now that's talking about the fact when he will come to take us home to heaven. That's the second coming. The context meaning that when Christ has a people who are united with each other and with him, the way he is united with his father, then he's going to bring us home to heaven with him that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. So, you know, this is a familiar passage to most Christians about unity among believers in Christ. And this context is especially fascinating that Christ asks the Father that his believers be brought to heaven based on the unity achieved in verse 23. And that unity can only be achieved when we allow Christ to come in. Now, when we allow Christ to come in, now look, I, I realize that I'm speaking to a mature group of Seventh-day Adventists, but it's amazing to me that no matter how mature and experienced we may be, oh, I've been a church worker for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, there's still in Adventism, no matter how long you've been, there's that tendency to not be willing to yield to the moving of the Holy Spirit. It's always been a problem. That's human nature. Now, there's plenty of people who will yield, but there are moments where we don't. And what Christ is saying is, I need you as a people to respond to the knocking on the door of your heart. Because Jesus is saying to us today, this fighting that has happened in the church over the pandemic is as strong as an evidence as you can ever receive that we are a Laodicean church, that we have not let Christ come in, that we have not been sanctified through the truth as it is in Jesus, that we know about the truth, but we are allowing pride of opinion to create division amongst us as a people. And are we truly willing to humble ourselves to say, Lord, 
Do whatever is necessary to come into my heart and to come into my life so that I will yield the pride of my opinion on this issue to, to unite as a body. Because I have news for you. There are going to be vaccinated and unvaccinated people in heaven. Now, you may not like that, but that's the truth. And would you be willing to be neighbors in heaven with someone who has a different view than you on this issue? Jesus is to be in us, and we are to be in him. When that happens, we are made perfect and one. And the world will know that God has sent us. As a result of a united church that is perfect and one, Jesus will return the second time to bring his united believers to be with him in heaven. Now look, this unity was achieved among the early Christian church disciples at Pentecost as described in Acts chapter 2. Now, this is amazing because these are the same people who were fighting amongst each other about who would be the greatest, including at the time of the foot washing at the Last Supper just before Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Their hearts were so hard before Jesus washed their feet that nobody was humble enough to go get that basin of water to wash the other disciples' feet. And yet, not long after that, they put those differences aside so that the Holy Spirit could be poured out upon them. Now, we know Acts chapter 2, and we read in verses 1 through 4, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. The same people who were basically fighting with each other over who would be the greatest 50 days earlier. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. So that's the scriptural account of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 through 4. The early reign of the Holy Spirit that was poured out at Pentecost is a small taste of the latter reign that will be poured out on God's end time people. If the early Christian church was united with one accord in one place, it must stand a reason that those who receive the outpouring of the latter reign at the end of the world will be united in similar fashion. In fact, they will be united perfectly, as seen in John 17, 17 through 24. They will be a sanctified people who are fully surrendered to Jesus. Jesus lives in them. They abide in Christ. And then Revelation 18, 1 is fulfilled, where we, where we read, After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, great authority, and the earth was lightened or illuminated with his glory. Now let me say something to you, and I want you to think about this very clearly. When the Holy Ghost was poured out on the disciples at Pentecost, were Peter and John and the other apostles going around saying, man, did you see how awesome I was? You should have watched that sermon. I'm going to use some modern symbols to apply it to the early Christian church. I mean, was Peter saying, man, you should watch my sermon on YouTube. That was awesome. That thing has 50,000 hits now. And I'm going to spread it around even further so it can get up to 100,000 hits. And maybe we can get it to a million in the next two weeks. That was an awesome sermon that I preached. I mean, was Peter talking like that about himself? I mean, I hate to be rude, but I'm going to be anyway. If the Holy Spirit were poured out on Adventism right now, there are preachers in the church who would be bragging about how awesome their sermons are. And God can't use instruments that are proud of their own abilities. God can't use instruments who create division in the church. God is going to pour out his spirit upon those who have humbled themselves and who bring glory to him, not to themselves. I mean, sometimes you talk to people and it's like, yeah, well, my ministry is more effective than their ministry because we're more effective at soul winning than that other ministry is effective. Really? Like, and we think we're going to unite as a church when we have that attitude? 
Like, yeah, so my ministry is the most preeminent soul-winning ministry in the church. We're the most cutting edge on this, and we're the best at that. God can't use us and pour out his spirit upon us when we think that way. And all of that kind of stuff and that kind of pride has been smoldering under the surface. And then when the pandemic hit, pride of opinion just swelled to the surface. And people on both sides are like, you're not going to do it that way. You're going to do it my way. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And I've appreciated some of the presentations already about conscience and things that pertain to that because a lot of what I've been hearing really isn't what the Bible says about conscience. So let's be frankly honest with ourselves as Seventh-day Adventists. You know, we've talked about the prayer of Jesus in John 17. We see what happened to the early Christian church when the early rain was poured out at Pentecost. But after the stark divisions that have broken out amongst us as a people during the pandemic, can we truly say that we are united as a people and that we are ready for the outpouring of the latter rain? How many churches have had fights over masks and safety precautions during services? What does it say about us as a people when I would have to say thousands of people are cheering along when the integrity of general conference leadership is questioned with respect to vaccine statements. And, you know, as a physician, I feel like I need to say something about this because I'm someone who, in my practice, receives reimbursement from Medicare and Medicaid for patients that I see. I'm going to just say this very clearly right now. The government will never, ever influence me to say that I am okay with the homosexual lifestyle. Now, I will provide care for people who have that background because I'm going to show the love of Jesus to everybody. But just because I'm reimbursed by Medicaid or Medicare doesn't then cause me to be an agent of the government. I still have personal conscience and biblical beliefs about that issue. And when you look at world church leadership, I haven't seen anything from world church leadership or from the Seventh-day Adventist Church that suggests that they are okay with the LGBT lifestyle. In fact, I've heard very clearly the opposite from the world church president, which here is my point. Adventist hospitals are receiving reimbursement from Medicaid and Medicare for services provided. And if you know how Medicare and Medicaid work, Medicaid is insurance for the poor, and Medicare is insurance for the elderly and the disabled. So do we want to say that Adventist hospitals shouldn't provide care to the elderly, the disabled, or the poor? Furthermore, Medicaid pays pennies on the dollar for what private insurance pays. And so when you provide services to people who are poor or who are disabled or elderly, you are getting less money than you would get if you were just a private hospital that only accepted private insurance. And so Seventh-day Adventist hospitals are actually providing care for people who need that care because they otherwise wouldn't receive it. And so world church leadership is not under the influence of the government when it comes to, for example, vaccine statements, because if they were, they would have already, you know, bowed the knee to bell in a sense by compromising on the LGBT issues, for example, which what that tells me is that world church leaders have drawn a, a line that I believe is very reasonable. They see LGBT issues as a moral issue, and they hold the line from a biblical standpoint. When it comes to the vaccine, they see it as a non-moral issue, and the statement is very clear that people can make their own decision, but they see no reason why people couldn't get the vaccine if they choose to do so, because the vaccine can save lives, and that's a responsible thing for a world church organization to do. And if you choose not to get the vaccine, that's your decision. But to say that they're under the influence of government money, to me, is a very questionable thing to do. And I believe that those kind of statements are sowing division and discord among Seventh-day Adventists, 
in a way that's very unfortunate. You know, recently I spoke at a Seventh Adventist church for the weekend, and none of the messages addressed the vaccine or the pandemic. In fact, this is the first time I've talked about this. Um, I've really generally stayed away from this topic, but I do believe that the time has come for me to say something, so that's why I'm addressing it today. So I was speaking at a Seventh-day Adventist church for the weekend, and none of the messages addressed the vaccine or the pandemic. Instead, they were focused on the character preparation that is needed to be ready for the coming of Jesus. After the Friday night meeting, an individual approached me and asked, so what do you think about the jab? Now, here was my response. Now, by the way, when someone uses the term jab, that's usually coming from a perspective that's pejorative towards the vaccine. Here's what I said. I believe that everybody should be allowed to make their own decision about whether or not to get the vaccine. Nobody should feel forced to get the vaccine, or listen to this, or feel forced to not get the vaccine. I personally feel very comfortable with the vaccine. I have received the vaccine and the booster. However, if you're not comfortable with getting the vaccine, that is fine with me. Now, while the individual was polite to me, after I gave that response, the person proceeded to tell several others who were there that they would not be returning to hear the rest of my messages the next day on Sabbath because I was okay with getting the vaccine. I mean, okay. Sure enough, they did not return. And where one stands on the vaccine has, for some, become a test of faithfulness. Now, there's been concern about coercion from vaccine mandates, and that's a concern that I share. I believe that um, religious exemptions should be provided for people who really feel strongly about it. But I also have concern about con coercion from those who are unvaccinated toward those who are thinking about getting the vaccine. And it's a two-way street on this issue. I have spoken to more than one person, several people in the church, in fact, who have been pressured by family or friends or fellow church members to not get the vaccine. Or they've received the vaccine secretly because they are afraid of the backlash that they will face among family and friends in the church. Now, it's my strong belief that individual members in the church should be allowed to decide for themselves about the vaccine without their integrity and faithfulness as an Adventist being questioned. I'm concerned that the strong anti-vaccine movement in the church has become a parachurch movement and almost a religion to itself that believes that the only faithful Seventh-day Adventists that remain are those who have not received the vaccine. And here's the challenge with that position. The reason why the church has the statement that it's made is because you can't show me anywhere in the Bible or the spirit of prophecy that you shouldn't get the vaccine. And that's why when Ellen White says health reform, when carried to extremes, becomes health deform. Like, I've been a Seventh-day Adventist my whole life, and I've unfortunately, through the years, run into people who will take one particular idea to an extreme, and then they become very unhealthy, and I've seen people die by following these reforms to extremes. And I really hate to say this, but I've been to more than one funeral in the church of people who've died from COVID. And I'm okay, again, with people making their own decisions about the vaccine, but as a physician, it's amazing to me that Google has become more authoritative than physicians who are truly looking out for the best interests of their patients. And you'll go to a reputable electrician or plumber or dentist or framer for your house, but then you won't trust physicians when it comes to the worst pandemic we've seen in 100 years. Again, I don't want anybody to ever feel forced to get any treatment that they don't want to get. I say that about someone who's considering getting a surgery or taking a certain medicine for a certain health issue. I don't want anybody to ever feel forced to do something they're not comfortable with. But what I do have a problem is, is with misinformation. And so we have all these different issues that are floating around and there's all these strongly held beliefs and Jesus is praying that we would be one as a church, that we would be united with Christ 
as he is united with the Father. And I want to read a statement from Evangelism, page 696, written in 1883. This was even five years before the 1888 General Conference. Notice this statement. For 40 years did unbelief, murmuring, and rebellion shut out ancient Israel from the land of Canaan. The same sins have delayed the entrance of modern Israel into the heavenly Canaan. In neither case were the promises of God at fault. Now listen to the next section. It is the unbelief, the worldliness, unconsecration, and strife among the Lord's professed people that have kept us in this world of sin and sorrow so many years. And we could talk about unbelief, we could talk about worldliness, we could talk about unconsecration, and I'll save that for another time. But the last point that she mentions is strife. It is the strife among the Lord's professed people that have kept us in this world of sin and sorrow so many years. And I could have told you just from reading John 17 that that's the point. Jesus prays that we would be one with him as he is one with the Father, and we'd have to admit that we haven't reached that point. And then Ellen White has a clear statement that says that it's the strife among the Lord's professed people that have kept us in this world of sin and sorrow for so many years. So how do we get to such a point? of deep division in the church. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Obviously, we are nowhere near that point. The prayer of Jesus remains unanswered, and he has not come to take us to where he is in heaven. While it is clear that the current division regarding the vaccine and the pandemic comes from deeply held convictions from those on both sides of the issue, As I stated earlier, what is distressing is that it seems that political ideology is a large factor in how many, probably not all, but many are arriving at their conclusions. Many of the talking points shared by my friends on social media are similar, if not identical, to talking points that I see on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, and Breitbart. And I'm not taking any side there. Pick your news agency and then I'll hear Adventists saying stuff, and I'll say, well, I know what sources they're watching. And here's the thing that really bothers me. The passion and zeal for these issues, by and large, exceeds the zeal I see in the church for promoting the three angels' messages. And I could go further to say that the passion and zeal that I see among Adventists every four years during a a presidential election, by and large, exceeds the zeal I see for Adventists for finishing the work so that Jesus can come back. I mean, I saw people who were way more engaged in getting Trump out of office than seeing Jesus come back. I see way more Adventists now trying to take Biden out than I see in people who want Jesus to come back. And I'm like, do you realize that Biden and Trump are not our saviors? They're not. Biden and Trump are not going to get us to the promised land, no matter how much you may like them or dislike them. So... Here's where I want to make an appeal to all sides. We should not be known as Seventh-day Adventist Democrats, Seventh-day Adventist Republicans, or any other political ideology. We should simply be known as faithful Seventh-day Adventists who promote the three angels' messages. I mean, you shouldn't know if Norman McNulty has a preferred political preference. I should just be known as a Seventh-day Adventist, and that should be true for each one of you. I'm afraid that many of us believe we are defending the three angels' messages when in reality we are defending the ideology of our preferred political party. And when we cannot discern the difference between the platforms of the political parties and the three angels' messages, we have truly failed to understand our message and mission. The following statement from Ellen White in Gospel Workers 391 summarizes this sentiment well. The Lord would have his people bury political questions. On these themes, silence is eloquence. Christ calls upon his followers to come into unity on the pure gospel principles, which are plainly revealed in the word of God. But we haven't been able to come into unity because we have too many Democrats and Republicans who are sold out to the agenda of their party. And so we can't humble ourselves to unite around the three angels' messages because we're convinced that we found the latest version of the third angel's message from our political platforms. And we're not going to finish the work that way. 
When we understand end-time Bible prophecy, we see that all the major political parties are aligned with the dragon in Revelation 16, in which three end-time powers emerge to deceive the world and God's people. We need to be careful that our consciences are not being educated by misinformation from pundits that are aligned with any of these powers. If you didn't hear Pastor Howard's talk this morning about conscience, please go back and listen. But as I said earlier, it's just been amazing to me that just a few years ago, we hear people on the women's ordination debate saying, well, my conscience prevents me from accepting the decision of the world church. And now we have people saying, my conscience is causing me to stir this issue up even if it brings disunity to the body of Christ. And I, I'm not disagreeing with people who say this is my conscience, but my question for you is who educated your conscience? Is it a biblical conscience? Or is it a political conscience? Are you saying, I will stand here and uh, faithful unto death, you're never going to allow me to receive this particular treatment, and is it really a conscience based on a thus saith the Lord, or is it a conscience based on the political pundits that you're watching? Is this really the third angel's message for this time? And if it's not, then why are you making this a hill to die on? Now, there's these three powers that I mentioned that we see in Revelation 16, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And I'm not here to give you anything new. I really appreciate it, if you, again, if you didn't hear the sermon this morning by Pastor M on the end time powers that will bring about the final crisis. What I'm gonna say is, again, straightforward prophetic Adamist understanding, just as Pastor M did earlier. The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. We understand this is nothing new. The dragon is spiritualism, the beast is the Roman Catholic Church state power, and the false prophet is apostate Protestant America. And if you don't understand how you get there, Revelation 19 shows that the false prophet does miracles in the presence of the beast. And you go back to Revelation 13 and you see the second beast, which is clearly Protestant America, makes fire come, de come down from heaven on the earth and the side of men. So you know that the false prophet is the same thing as the second beast who has lamb-like characteristics. So it's a Christian-like nation, but he becomes a false prophet that deceives the world. So you have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Now, if we understand prophecy as we should, we understand very clearly that the Roman Catholic Church state power will have its deadly wound healed when the image to the beast is formed. And apostate Protestant America is going to be foremost in leading that union. But sometimes the Seventh-day Adventists, we forget the role of spiritualism. And spiritualism is more than having a right understanding of the state of the dead. You know, I'm so thankful as Seventh-day Adventists that we understand what happens to the dead when they die. And I'm not going to take the time to go through a Bible study on that topic. We know that the dead are resting in the graves until Jesus comes. And we pray for that blessing for those who have died in the Lord of the first resurrection because on them the second death has no power. Everybody's going to be resurrected who dies, either in the first or the second resurrection. And for some of us, maybe it's the special resurrection when Jesus comes. But spiritualism is more than a right understanding of the state of the dead. You know, Ellen White has this very fascinating section in the book Education about spiritualism where she connects it to the French Revolution and the concept that whatever is, is right. So my truth is my truth. And there might be the truth as it is in Jesus, but my truth trumps the truth as it is in Jesus because my lived experience is more important than what the Bible says. That's modern liberalism, friends. And modern liberalism is just as much an enemy as the word of the word of God as the religious right will be in the end time crisis. Now, don't get me wrong. I still believe that the major power that we have to worry about is the false prophet when they bring Sunday legislation in. But I'm not going to sit by when I see 
atheistic ideology persecuting the saints and say, well, it's okay that um, people in Cuba are suffering in jail under the Castro regime because Castro is not going to bring about the Sunday law. I mean, it's okay that Putin is invading Ukraine because Putin's not going to bring about the Sunday law. Come on. I mean, we're going to defend the religious liberty of anybody, whether the religious liberty is being attacked from the left or if it's being attacked from the right or if it's being attacked from the beast power. And my point in this is simply to say, you have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And we know who the beast power is. It's the Roman Catholic Church state power. We know who the false prophet is. It represents apostate Protestantism in America that's especially seen through the religious right. And I'm very disappointed by Adventism or Adventists who think that if they align with the religious right that they're going to be safe and they're going to be in for a rude awakening of the Sunday law. But I'm also disappointed in Adventists who think that they can find refuge in the liberal left, and I would call it the religious left of America and around the world, because all three of those powers in Revelation 16 are unclean spirits, all three of them. And you are not advocating for the three angels' messages by being an ideologue of any one of those three powers, because they all receive their power from the dragon, which is Satan. Three unclean spirits. So I'm being hard on all parties. I'm not taking sides. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Libertarian. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. That's my identity. I'm a follower of Jesus. My identity is in Jesus, and because I love him, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Libertarian. That's not my identity. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. And I believe the reason why we have such disunity in the church today is because so many of us identify with the political parties in modern America, and we've allowed the ideology of the political parties of modern America to cause us to fight and advocate for those principles, which has then led to division in the church. And so Jesus' prayer continues to be unanswered. Let me read you a statement from Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 3, page 272. All who profess the name of Christ should be waiting, watching, and praying with one heart. All differences should be put away, and unity and tender love for one another pervade the whole. Then our prayers may go up together to our Heavenly Father with strong, earnest faith. Then we may wait with patience and hope the fulfillment of the promise. I mean, are we willing to put all differences away? Or are we just going to hang out with our friends who see things the way we do? And I'm not going to hang out with the unvaccinated, and you're not going to hang out with me. And, you know, it just goes all on and on. Listen. Between the progressive left, which is promoting spiritualism, the religious right, which represents the false prophet, and the papacy, we as God's people should steer far away from all of these powers and unite under the proclamation of the three angels' messages. I, I want to appeal to you. Turn off Fox News. Turn off MSNBC. Turn off CNN and start reading the Bible. Start reading the great controversy. Stop getting your marching orders from the political operatives in America. Let's get our marching orders from Jesus. Let's unite under the banner of the three angels' messages, which is the message that God has called us to unite upon. God has not called us to unite around a particular political view on vaccines or mandates. That is not the message for this time. And I believe we've heard some excellent messages already that show very clearly that what we should be worried about from a prophetic standpoint is not what civil authority is doing, but when the church works through civil authority to bring persecution. Let us remember the unanswered prayer of Jesus. He prayed that we would be one with each other as he is one with the Father. That is only possible when he is in us and we are in him. When, listen, when we are unconverted, when we are unsanctified, when we have not let Jesus come in, you know what's going to continue to happen in Adventism? We're going to continue to fight. We're going to continue to advocate 
for our own preferred political agenda. And the prayer of Jesus is going to continue to go unanswered that we would be one with each other as he is one with the Father and that we would be made perfect and one. Christ is standing at the door knocking, saying, let me come in. We exist as Seventh-day Adventists, as Revelation 10 verse 7 says, so that the mystery of God can be finished. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Second Advent Movement was raised up for that purpose. God didn't raise up the Second Advent Movement to strengthen the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. That's not why Adventism exists. God raised up the Advent movement so that the character of God, the humble character of God in which the glory of man is laid in the dust would be exalted before the onlooking universe and so that Christ in you, the hope of glory, would be seen throughout the world and that the earth would be illuminated with the glory of God's character. That's why we are here. So that we can receive the seal of the living God. The recent division in Adventism shows us that we have a ways to go for the mystery of God to be finished. Too often selfishness and pride of opinion prevails, but make no mistake, the mystery of God will be finished. It will. And I pray that it will be finished soon. Let us set aside all carnal differences and allow Christ, the hope of glory, to be formed within so that Jesus' prayer of John 17 can be answered and that he will come again soon. You know, I'm tired of this whole pandemic. I'm tired of the, the arguments and the fighting. But, you know, if, it's, if this problem is going to be solved, I have to make a conscious choice to say, Lord, I surrender my personal pride of opinion. And you're going to have to say the same thing. And we should be able to then come together with those who might see things differently and say, let's unite on the things that really matter. But if we continue to fight, then Jesus is going to continue to wait. But I can tell you this. One thing the pandemic has taught me, man, this world sure isn't worth living for. You want to keep living through more stuff like this because the world's only going to get worse it's not going to get better Jesus is coming again and I do believe he's coming again soon and I just want to appeal to each one of us let's unite as the body of Christ and finish this work amen let's pray father I thank you that you love us and that Jesus came and that he prayed that we would be one with him and one with you and that we would be made perfect in one. Lord, forgive us for where we have allowed pride of opinion to create division. May we unite around the third angel's message. May we allow Christ to come in so that his character will be seen in our lives and that Jesus will come soon. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.